He First word that comes to mind is shagging, bonk, rooting, <laughs> procreation, the ins and outs of sex. Okay. Uh, oh, bang. bang. What? Bang. It's called bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, bang. <laughs> Hello, no my haremai. Welcome back to Bang. This is episode one of season three. I'm Melody Thomas, and you know the drill. In this podcast, we use real stories from real people to explore pretty complicated things like sex, sexuality, and relationships. And when it gets really complicated, we phone up the experts for their opinions. As you know, Bang has been a bit of a learning curve for me, and for many of you too, and that's what makes it so wonderful because we get to learn together. But learning as you go does come with some risks. Last season we had an episode called All the Kids Are Going By. And in it, a guy talked to us about cheating on his girlfriends with men. And a woman and her husband came in because she'd realised she was also attracted to women and they were trying to figure out what they might do with that information. The thing is, no one in that episode identified themselves as bi. So the word bi shouldn't have been in the title. Because it was, people went in thinking it was about bisexuality and could have gotten the idea that bi people are all confused or can't do monogamy. And these are really common stereotypes that actually do a bit of damage to bi people. So thank you for those of you who got in touch to point it out to me. Today, we're going to take a proper look at bisexuality and pansexuality, which is related, but as we're going to hear, not the same. And we're going to pick apart some of those common misconceptions. Bringing back a few familiar voices. I've been gay, like the whole time I was gay. As well as a few surprises. I was not expecting you to say that. Oh my god. We're also going to follow along in my own journey of unlearning. Let's get started. Okay, this might surprise you, but in Western societies, at least as many people identify as bisexual as gay and lesbian combined by some counts, actually more. In 2011, the Williams Institute compared the results of a bunch of different studies and found that bisexuals make up 1.8% of the population, where 1.7% were gay and lesbian. Also, the number of people identifying as either bi or attracted to more than one gender is increasing. Yet, when it comes to what bisexuality is and who bisexuals are, we know so little and it's not for a lack of actual bisexuals. So what's going on? How did such a big part of the LGBTQ community come to be so sidelined and so badly misunderstood? These are some of the questions we're going to be exploring, starting now with our first guests. Though, actually, we've already met them before. You remember Rose? I oh, said something really vague, like, should we do it or can we do it? I was just like, okay. And then I was like, wait, what did I just say yes to? Rose was in the first episode of last season comparing the time that she technically lost her virginity Oh God! with the one she sees as her real first time with her now boyfriend, Sam. I was very definitely into her for a long time. So on that day when we first met to talk, Sam and Rose and I were really focused on virginity and on their relationship together. So sexuality didn't really come up. But I think it's safe to say I did a thing that so many people do, where I saw a guy and a girl in a relationship, and so I assumed they were straight. 
which isn't true. I am bisexual. When I was younger and I didn't realise you could be bisexual, I thought you could only be straight or gay, I would say to people, I'm basically straight, but if that that special woman comes along, I could I'll just I'll do that. And so that sort of that expanded when I realised I could be bisexual. That I was just like, if anyone comes into my life who I am attracted to, I will go for it. Nothing's stopping me. But wait, there's more. Come in, Sam. I identify as pansexual. So Sam is pansexual and Rose is bisexual. And we're going to hear all about that in a second. But first, let's get really clear on the terminology. My name's Nikki Hayfield and I'm a psychology researcher based in Bristol in the UK. Dr Hayfield specialises in bisexuality and pansexuality as well as a bunch of other queer stuff. And she's bi herself. So she's going to pop in and out to explain anything that needs clarifying in the episode. Like what is pan and what is bi? And how have those definitions changed? If you look at really early understandings of bisexuality, they might have referred to attraction or behaviour with men and with women. So they would be very binary. And I think um, as a response to the increase in trans identities and in resisting binary understandings of gender, those understandings of bisexuality have become a lot broader and so they've become about attraction to more than one gender. And I think for pansexual people, that being attracted to people regardless of gender or to many, many genders um, is what's really kind of the fundamental part of pansexuality for people. So they kind of, uh, you see um, in early pansexual definitions, people saying that bisexuality doesn't fit for them because bisexual people are fundamentally only attracted to men and women. And you find a bit of kickback from the bisexual community, from people saying, actually, that's not the case for me. The definitions can sometimes be understood as similar, but that it's really important for bi and pan people that they identify with what's most meaningful for them. So for Sam, pansexuality means this? It's just that my sexual preference isn't limited by the the physicality or identity of the other person at all. So you're attracted to people and and gender is kind of secondary or even not important. Yeah. Um, Yes, exactly, exactly that. And in this case, Rose happens to describe her bisexuality in much the same way. It's just, I use a different word, but yeah, it's sort of like I'm attracted to anyone of the same gender as me or anyone of any other gender and anyone across the spectrum of genders. Okay, there might still be people who are confused because this stuff is confusing. And, you know, we once thought bisexuality meant attracted to two genders, men and women. And as we came to understand that there were more genders than two, bisexuality has come to mean attracted to more than one gender. And a lot of people use it that way. Similarly, pansexual can mean either attracted to people of any gender or attracted to people irrespective of gender. You know, I'm just attracted to people and gender isn't really important to me. Labels are helpful and often really important to people, but, you know, as we've seen time and time again, quite restrictive when it comes to understanding the full complexity of human sexuality. The main thing is that people get to identify with what's most meaningful for them. Okay, back to Sam and Rose. So can we rewind a little bit and start with you, Sam? I'm assuming, based on general programming when we're growing up and norms and things, that that heterosexuality was, you got the impression it was the norm? And that you realised that you diverged from that, or is that not true? Yes, yeah, and I, I would go as so far as to say that 
it felt like heterosexuality was expected of me. And it's why it took quite a while before I realized I wasn't that. Even though growing up I had gay experiences, but I think in quite a sort of common, confused, exploratory way. And then I think I was 22 when I finally realized that I wasn't straight. Um, and uh, yeah, I was in a, in a long-term relationship with a woman at the time and that kind of ended it because I felt like I needed to understand what I was and try things and work that out. And then there was sort of an ex- exploratory period for a little bit and, and now here I am. And you're like, yep, I am. I am what I thought I was. It's interesting how many people I talk to who later in life identify as bisexual or pansexual who earlier in life had same-sex interactions but kind of went, oh, that was just Mm. trying things out. Or I think people not only exist on on a sort of spectrum of sexual preference but also a spectrum of how extreme your circumstances need to be to move outside of that preference. And... I think for a lot of people, those circumstances aren't actually that extreme. It just intersects poorly with a pressure to be normal and fit in and be what you're told to be. And the sort of weird cognitive dissonance takes place mm, where you end up, you do, you do gay things, but then you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gay though. That was just a thing I did. Mm. And so for you, how extreme did the circumstances need to be to be a little bit gay? <laughs> when I was growing up and it was like, it was like that sort of, I think more common than we think, child thing, where it's it's you and a friend who is the same gender and is a sleepover or something, mm. and you like you try kissing or whatever. And then I also had some gay experiences when I was a bit older that weren't very... I don't think they were especially responsible or uh, healthy. I think it was sort of teenage acting out. And Can you tell us more what that looked like? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, when I was 16, 17... There was a gay guy in the same year as me who was attracted to me and I was not attracted to him, but he he offered me pills in exchange for uh, sexual favours. And, yeah, I, I took that deal and I don't regret it necessarily, but it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy way mm. to behave, I don't think. Because you weren't attracted to that individual. I mean, yeah. the, the trading six-foot drugs thing we'll leave aside for a second, but also yeah. you were interacting yeah. intimately with someone you actually weren't attracted to. Yeah, and it was it was still a time where I couldn't accept that I could be attracted to such a person. I think I, I could have been more honest with myself from an earlier age and had better experiences when I was younger, I yeah. think. Yeah. Was there a period of questioning, like, is this me practising, or oh, yes, this is me for you? Like a confirmation moment? There was leaving the relationship I was in with a woman. Um, then almost immediately after that, I went back to England for a little while and met a, a lovely guy over there and had a good gay experience. I think that was part of it. <laughs> so, Rose, what about for you? How did you... What was your journey when it came to your sexuality? Um, I think I talked about last time I was here, the first, like vaguely sexual experience I had with another girl when I was seven. So there was that. Differently to Sam, I I have an aunt who is very proudly gay and has been with the same woman my entire life. My mum's always, you know, talked about it and we've been open about that it was okay to be gay. So I was always like, that. I knew that was an option. When I was about 14 or 15, I remember I started to become a little bit, like, distracted by boobs. <laughs> we didn't have a uniform school 
And so girls were coming to school, especially in summer, wearing like very low cut tops. And I remember looking over and just being like, oh God, I can see them. <laughs> They're right there. The boobs. And I, I remember like being in science class, which I didn't enjoy. And just being like, this, that's so much more distracting than the science I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, but that was, that felt like a very like bad, like negative. I was like, this, I shouldn't be feeling this. This isn't Shut good. Don't tell anyone. Uh, and yeah, I think I just sort of like went along with my theory of straight until proven otherwise. I had a kiss at a party when I was 20, maybe 19, where I was drunk and I was like saying to the room of strangers, like, I haven't kissed anyone for like three years. And then this girl was like, you could kiss my friend. And so I, like, kissed this girl. And I remember being like, that wasn't enjoyable. But I think also that was my first kiss with someone that I wasn't attracted to. Yeah, and I was on Tumblr quite a lot when I was around 21. I think actually I saw a thing about, like, percentages. It was like, you can be 70% attracted to men, 30% attracted to women. And I was like, oh, I think I could be not straight then, because I think even now my attraction is like slightly more weighed towards men than it is women. Seeing those that percentages thing, I was like, oh, well, I guess I, I could be a bisexual. That, that could be a label I could give myself. And once I did say it to a few of my friends, I felt so much more open to if I saw a hot girl on the street or if I watched a movie with a hot girl, I could say to my friend, oh, that girl is really hot, instead of just thinking it in my head. And that became, I felt much more empowered to do that. This percentage thing is really interesting because something that gets in the way for a lot of people who would otherwise identify as bi is this idea that bisexuality means 50% attracted to men and 50% attracted to women. So they look at their sexuality and it's not really like that and they go, oh, then I can't be bi then, just like Rose did up until that point. Now, Sam and Rose identify in different ways, as we've just heard, but there's a bunch of similarities in how their understandings of their sexuality slowly unfolded. One point where their stories are really different, though, is when they talk about their parents. Love my parents, though I do. Um, they, they, you know, had, had pretty specific expectations from their children. And, and, you know, they still don't know. Yeah, it's certainly something I, I still struggle with you know i feel like um if if you're a guy and whether you're exclusively interested in other men or open to other things it still to some people makes you seem weak or effeminate or i i struggle with that not because there's anything wrong with with being effeminate i just don't want i don't want people to feel like i'm I'm lesser in some way just because of who i i may or may not be attracted to it's why my parents don't know. I, they wouldn't do anything, you know, I wouldn't be disowned or anything. But it, it would confirm that I'm a sort of black sheep and that, you know, I'm, I'm less of a man in some way. And that doesn't feel good. I think they expected me to be gay and I was aware of that and that was also part of why I didn't want to confirm it mm. to them. I didn't want them to be proven right in that regard. Yeah, which is not... Not a not a honest or healthy way to maintain a relationship. That's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> now Rose mentioned the positive effect of growing up with an aunt who was openly lesbian. What she didn't find out till much later is that her mum is also bi. When I told her I was bi, she was like, Oh, 
oh yeah, I think I'm by two. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? This would have really helped my, my coming out journey if you had also told me you were bi. And she was like, well, you know, people told me in the 80s I had to choose, gay or straight. It made me choose. And so I kind of thought that was what I had to do. So I was like, have we both faced the same problem when the whole time we could have just been <laughs> talking about it? I think a lot of gay women said to her, like, you can't, you can't do this. You have to just be gay. And I think similarly to me, she is more attracted to men, more often, more likely to get with men. But that doesn't discount the portion of her that is attracted to women. And I feel like I always have to be encouraging of her. I'm like, come on, like, it's okay. You don't need to feel embarrassed about it. Now, this idea of bisexuality as a kind of invisible sexuality is one that we're going to hear about later, and it's a really common experience for bi people. And just as her mum's bi-ness was invisible to Rose, Rose and Sam's sexualities are invisible to a bunch of their friends and family, simply because they're with each other. We have had a friend who we know and love so much come up to us really drunk, and I think that's the key here, he was really drunk, and be like... You're just so straight. Look at you two. Oh, you're so straight. Oh, it's great. And I was like, no, we're not. I, I was, I, it was like, you know, it was just sort of a funny situation. But also that later that night, I was like, bloody hell, that was rude. How dare he? I don't think it's a funny joke to be like, you're straight, haha, because you just don't know. And I, you know, I, I do this a lot more now when someone says like, oh, I would love to go on a date soon. Until I meet this new person coming in my friend's life, I'm not going to presume what gender they're going to be. That's just putting my friend in a box. What about you? I don't know. There's On the one hand, there's the, you know, it's effeminate to have sex with a man if you're a man. I think if we do away with that and the jokes and things that come with it, that's mm-hmm. part of it. But then, I don't know, sometimes you just feel weird about it because you don't want your straight guy friends to feel like they need to worry about you that there's, you know, you're going to develop a crush on them or it's going to be weird if you're mm. just hanging out. Because yeah. if you're bi, it doesn't no. mean you're attracted to every man and every woman. No, of woman. course not. Or even if you're pan. I mean, pan or does pan, mean sorry, everything, yes. but obviously it's not everything. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you're, like, more sexual. You know, I'm just as likely to yeah. stay at my house and not leave <laughs> for a while and not meet any new people and not be attracted to any new people as someone who's straight. Yeah, and, I mean, heterosexual people interact with people of the opposite gender all the time and it's you know it doesn't need to be weird or sexually inappropriate Mm. um and yeah the same thing applies i just sort of assume everyone is quite possibly bi until they tell me otherwise yeah (laughs) that's rose and sam talking about what it means to them to be bi and pan In that conversation, they referred to some of the types of prejudice that they've faced and that most bi or pan people you talk to actually have faced as well. And it's all linked up with this thing called biphobia. Biphobia is a term which has been being used since the 1990s to refer to very broadly prejudice, discrimination against bisexual people. Dr Nikki Hayfield explaining how this is basically the bisexual version of homophobia, though of course it's not that simple. 
Some people are not a big fan of the term. It kind of relies on notions of individuality and the idea that when we have negative beliefs about other people, there's something that are located in us. And what some researchers and activists have pointed to is that actually some of those ideas are not just within the individual. It overlooks the kind of cultural importance of society and our cultural assumptions and ideas. I mean, conversations about racism and homophobia include similar things to this. There's individual beliefs, but then there's also the structural stuff that normalises and reinforces certain beliefs. But no matter which way you view it, there's no denying these things exist. We're going to use a really basic pop culture example here. You know Katy Perry's song, I Kissed a Girl? Yes, you do. I know you do. Now, it's a jam, but it is full of biphobic stereotypes. Here's author and academic Kristen Lieb listing just some of them. She's just curious. She's playing an experimental game. She doesn't need to know the woman's name. It's not what good girls do or how they should behave. Um, she's confused. She hopes her boyfriend doesn't mind it. It goes on and on and on and on. Okay, so no one wants to put themselves in the same boat as Katy Perry, but actually her and I made pretty similar mistakes because it's actually quite easy to do and a lot harder to learn not to do. But I've been learning or unlearning. And while I've been doing that, something else has been going on that's pretty strongly related to all of this. And it wouldn't feel right to not include a little bit of that story too. So this is me on my way to visit someone that I've known for a few years and who I get along really well with. You're going to see why. She's really great. And I'm nervous. You can tell by my weird tone of voice here. Hello. This is a cute wooden note. Yes. Oh, God. By this bit, where I knock something over with my bag. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and basically at different points through the whole conversation. Oh, now I'm all nervous. Okay, enough of that. I'm going to give you some background. The person you're about to hear from has agreed to talk with me, even though I couldn't tell her what we were going to talk about, which is very brave. Here she is introducing herself in a roundabout way. Yeah, I've been in Wellington for like 12, coming up to 13 years now, and I was raised in Australia and America. And um, yeah, I've been living in Aro Valley for four years, which is really beautiful. Um, and in terms of my sexuality, I think it's actually kind of something I don't necessarily even think about all the time. It's just like something that I just kind of go with whoever I'm attracted to at the time. I guess I'd identify as bisexual, but like I've like never really been like, what is my sexuality? I didn't know that she was bi, so that's great for the theme. But here goes, we're going to do it. I've turned up at her house with cheese and crackers and a couple of cans of beer, and we've wandered up a pathway into the bush for a private chat. You're going to hear joggers and cyclists <laughs> going past intermittently. But why is she here? And the reason that I specifically wanted to talk to you, I'm so sorry to do this to you, <laughs> is because... I assumed I was straight my whole life mm -hmm. until a few years ago when I got a crush on you. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and, and now we're on a date. And, <laughs> and now we're on a date that I like tricked you into. <laughs> and I just want to like reassure you that you're like a babe who is amazing, but I'm not. This isn't a thing for me anymore. But. At the time, it made me realise that I wasn't as straight as I thought I was. Oh my god, this is, this is, this is such a good plot twist. I'm so Whoa. sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I was not expecting that. 
expecting you to say that. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Obviously, this is all pretty awkward, but I just want to point out to you in case you missed it, this isn't me hitting on this person or seeking, you know, a third for a threesome or anything in that vein. And just so you know, I also made it really clear through the whole process that we wouldn't be using this audio if she wasn't comfortable with it. <laughs> I just want to check that you're still feeling comfortable to talk I've about this go. other stuff. I've got to go. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Are you still no, comfortable being I'm extremely being flattered. Here? Okay, really good, yeah. Okay, good, good. Okay. And this crush thing is a thing of the past, but it was a real moment for me. And so I wanted to use it as an opportunity to talk about some of the bigger stuff around bisexuality as well as what I've been struggling with personally. Um, anyway, so it's really interesting to hear you talk about having never felt like you had to stamp it, because I've just spent, like, increasingly over the last couple of years, that spent a lot of time think, like wishing I did know mm, mm. and wishing, I, like, there was someone could just come along and diagnose me <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I could yeah, just like, know. What am I? <laughs> yeah, which is so contrary to your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I think like, a lot of people do seem to have that where it is more of like a kind of obvious realisation or like just knowing, whereas like I feel like mine's just been so vague because I think it's never been like, I have a crush on this person, which now means that I'm mm. straight or gay or whatever. Mm. Like it is kind of just like a person-by-person person basis, I think. Like I don't feel like I necessarily even like words to kind of like use as identifiers anyway, so I don't know if like... Well, it's really important for some people to have those words to kind of know their identity. For me, it's like not really something that I want. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Casual slack. <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like even identifying with like the word woman, I don't feel super connected to that word. I'm not not a woman, but it's just not one of the words that's like up there in terms of like how I, I identify. Which also probably means that I feel like that affects the way I see sexuality as well, because then I'm just I'm not attracted to someone as like me being a woman to them being whatever. Do you remember a moment where you came came out to your parents? I don't know if my dad would actually know because like, he's only met one partner that I've had and that was a man, so mm. yeah, I don't know. And then my mum, it's not something we've ever had a discussion about because there's been like a few times when I like have like a girl home or something like that and I, I live with her. So, yeah, so I think that meant that there never needed to be a discussion. Because I, I feel like a lot of the time when we talk about coming out, we presume that the ideal is love, Simon. Maybe the ideal world is where no one actually has to state anything. Well, yeah, like I'm sure that it is really helpful for some people, but also like the whole idea that you have to come out is kind of weird because it's like holding straight as kind of the normal and then coming out is like saying that you're deviating from the normal. Whereas if you don't have to come out at all, it's just saying that it's not abnormal to like have a different sexuality than being straight. Do you find that you, um, when you're in a relationship, that people make assumptions about your sexuality based on who your partner is? Yes, and that is definitely a thing I had a bit of trouble with. Like with my partner um, of like a year, and we've been broken up for a while, a while now, but like he's a man and I think I did really struggle with that just people were just assuming that I was straight because of that I feel like I didn't want to do like that much PDA because I just felt really weird about being typecast as being only straight or something like that One of the things that I brought up that afternoon was this thing that I've heard repeated by a bunch of other people who maybe suspect that they're bi or pan but aren't sure and that is can I call myself 
bisexual if I've only ever been in relationships with people of the opposite sex. I, I totally get that it can kind of feel like fraudulent or something. Feel but fraudulent. Like, I feel but like it someone, shouldn't. Cause yeah. Because if, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you feel. Like, I feel like someone's gonna be like, "Well, show me, like, yeah, show yeah, me yeah, your yeah, sexual yeah. history." <laughs> I feel like someone's gonna ask me for like a sexy CV and be like, "No, sorry, babe. <laughs> you didn't make the, yeah, cut. No, the bisexual cut." You're never I know. That's terrible. <laughs> no, but yeah, especially with being bisexual, like it can kind of be like almost like the spectrumy thing. Like you might feel like more attracted to mm. one group of people more of the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're not bisexual, you know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't so, invalidate the yeah, other stuff. Yeah. That is nice to talk to someone who's like, I just am who I am. That feels like a um that feels like a nicer place to be than like, what am I? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm, beautiful human. Now all of New Zealand can have a crush on you too. Thank you so much. So on that last point, yes, it is nice to be in a place where you don't need a label and that really works for a lot of people, just being kind of settled and knowing who you are. And of course, people have a right to identify with what feels best for them. We've said that before. But on the other hand, I also know that there are a bunch of bi people who choose to clearly identify themselves as bi as a means of fighting against bisexual invisibility and bisexual erasure. So, hey, I'm bi as a way of saying, hey, bi people exist. Nikki's going to tell us more about that now. Bisexuality can sometimes be just completely overlooked, in which case it's just invisible. You often hear same-sex marriage being reported as lesbian and gay marriage. And that's an example of where bisexual erasure has happened because lots of bisexual people may be in same-sex relationships and so same-sex marriage is a really relevant matter for them, but they're completely kind of dropped out of that discussion because it becomes about lesbian and gay marriage rather than same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage. And you know that thing that Rose and Sam were talking about where people assume that they're straight because they're together? By erasure. People do tend to take our relationship status as a signifier of our identity. And so it's much more difficult for bisexual people to be out about their sexuality because their partner, they only have one partner, doesn't indicate their sexuality in the way that it does for heterosexual people or for lesbians and gay men. So this is um, an issue for bisexual people. They find that even if they've been explicitly out about their bisexuality to, say, their friends and their family and their work colleagues, when they're in a relationship, all of a sudden it's like they never made that declaration of their bisexuality and they find that people around them assume that they're, they're gay now or they're straight now, depending on the, the gender of their partner. So it was around this point in my journey of picking apart some of the things that I'd come to believe about bisexuality that I suddenly remembered something. So a couple of years ago, I was watching Emily Wright's talk. You know her. She's the hilarious blogger turned author and columnist. And in passing, she called herself queer. Now, I knew that bisexuality existed, but for some reason, the fact that Emily, who I knew had a husband, was up there saying she was queer, just didn't compute. Compute says no. So I went to Emily's house to talk about it. We are in my bedroom, <laughs> on my bed. Not quite in bed, eh? Yeah, but... not quite in bed, but um, you'll see that pillowcase that says superhero, that's for my four-year-old. Yeah, so nothing happens in this bed. 
<laughs> so I started by talking to Emily about that time a couple of years back when I couldn't understand her queerness, and she said that for a time she didn't either. I guess people say, oh, I always knew that I was gay. But for me, it was just not an option. I grew up in very religious evangelical family. My grandfather in particular was heavily, heavily involved in the church. And it was just you, homosexuality is a sin, abomination, all that stuff. You know, I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell. And so I don't think I ever allowed myself to even entertain the idea. And then my first kiss was with a girl. And it was so romantic and so beautiful, like in the outback of Australia at a scout camp under the stars. And it was incredible. And then, How old um, were you? Oh, I would have been about... 14 maybe and yeah and but then like so ingrained in me how wrong it was in the morning I was really horrible to her like and said oh by the way I'm not a dyke and all this and I just it was just a so angry denial and then in high school I basically started to hook up with girls but it was always practicing for boys and I practiced a lot (laughs) And somehow didn't get better at blowjobs, <laughs> which is amazing, like you would think. Oh, my God. So, like, it's quite amazing how much you can deny yourself. Then at 17, Emily met a guy and fell head over heels in love. They got married, they're still together, and in 2016 they had two kids and were going about their lives when... We do want to update you on the breaking news out of Orlando, the terror attack on a gay nightclub... I was just distraught by it. We went to a vigil for it. I cried all night after the vigil. And I was in the car with my husband on the way to work after dropping our kids off. And my husband said to me, is this the pulse thing? Are you really upset about that? And I was like, yeah. And then he goes, I know, I know this would be so hard for you. And I was like, why would it be particularly hard for me? And he was like, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm gay. And he's like, yeah, I know. I hate to burst in here, but just in case anyone's confused, Emily uses the word gay the same as she would use the word queer. This isn't her coming out as a lesbian, and she's still very much attracted to her husband. She's just coming to understand her attractions towards women too. And I was like, oh no, I just said it out loud and you can't take it back. And I was like, how did you know? And he's like, I'm your husband. I've known you since we were kids. Of course I know. And it was awful, this feeling of like trying to say all these ideas I had in my head that I'd grown out of because I love my queer friends and family, but I still had this part of me that was like, if everyone knows that I'm wrong and I'm going to go to hell. But then he just kind of looked at me and he was like, I love you no matter what. You know, we held hands and I bawled my eyes out. I just cried like 20 years of tears. So between Emily and her husband, this was all obviously really difficult, but it was also beautiful and more the start of anything than the end. But that wasn't necessarily how other people saw it. The questions I got were very much around would I stay with my husband. Like a lot of people saw it as, oh, you're getting a divorce then, which I thought was really odd because that never crossed our minds. We had really happy and do have a really happy marriage and I don't see how 
that changes anything, but it is this thing around bisexuality or queerness that people want you to perform it for them, and if you don't, then are you allowed to say that you're queer or bi? So we're entering into tricky territory again. To many inside the queer community, bisexual people in relationships with people of the opposite sex have this thing called straight passing privilege. What that means is that they can go out in public and hold hands with their loved ones and their queerness isn't on display. They don't attract negative attention and bigotry. So they can kind of escape a bit of the prejudice that gay and lesbian people out with their partners in public can't avoid. But on the flip side of that, as we've heard, bi people in long-term relationships with anyone, same sex or opposite, talk about feeling like their sexuality is invisible, like they need to constantly reassert it or convince people that it's real. So yeah, if there is a privilege to being bi, it doesn't come without a cost. If I say that I'm queer and people who are mean on the internet are like, she's not, she's married to a man and all that, I think... You know, that comes from this wanting you to do the buy test. It's like, okay, well, tell me, how many women have you slept with? And when was it? And, you know, I will decide whether you're gay enough to be able to call yourself queer. People think this is what makes you straight and this is what makes you gay and this particularly is what makes you buy this 50-50 thing. And it's why I really am drawn to queer because... My sexuality is such an evolving, changing thing, and I feel like I'm still discovering still a baby who queer. I am. I'm, I am a baby queer in a way, which is ridiculous because I've been queer. When I see somebody being like, oh, and now she's gay because it's cool and all this, and I just have this thing in my head where I'm like, I've been gay. I've been gay. <laughs> like, the whole time I was gay. The love that I have for my husband is queer love because I'm queer and you know the idea that me coming out as queer means I have to have some kind of different love for my husband that it's not the same good love that like healing wonderful love that it was before that's really doesn't fit with any ideals I know about being queer or the community that is my community. As she talked about at the end there, Emily is part of a beautiful, warm and welcoming queer community that mean the world to her. She's really lucky in that because for some bi people there can be a feeling that you don't have the right to take up space in queer communities because you haven't faced the same struggles that gay men and lesbians have. And because some bi people feel not straight enough but also not gay enough, they can get really isolated. One of the things at play here is double discrimination. So the idea that bisexual people are discriminated against by people who are lesbian and gay, as well as by people who are heterosexual. Some recent studies have suggested that perhaps bisexual people are actually more accepted than they used to be. Um, And there could be lots of reasons for that. We've seen a wider acceptance of non-heterosexual sexualities more generally. Um, We've seen different understandings of masculinities and femininities that may make a wider range of sexualities more acceptable. But on the other hand, there's still quite a lot of research which seems to suggest that people are experiencing discrimination. And the discrimination that people experience from lesbians and gay men tends to be subtly different than the experiences of discrimination from the heterosexual community. 
So those ideas of um, bisexual women kissing other women just for the attention of men is something which is perhaps more rooted in heterosexual understandings of bisexuality. Whereas the idea that bisexual people are cowards and that they're in a transitionary stage between heterosexuality and homosexuality are perhaps something which are more common among lesbians and gay men. At the beginning of this episode, we heard Rose touch on some of the things that her mum had gone through as a bi woman in the 80s, being told by lesbians that she had to pick a side. And I was curious, is this kind of thinking a thing of the past? Or do young bi and pan people today still get told that their sexuality isn't valid? Hello, my name's Sai. I'm 17. I am pansexual and identify as non-binary. Hello, my name is Emma. I'm 18 years old. And um, I've never really thought of identifying as anything. But I guess after hearing that, I'd say pansexual. Hey, I'm Charlie. I'm 17. I identify as non-binary trans mask and, I don't know, like bi or queer or something along those lines. Sai, Emma and Charlie aren't an objective sample of Kiwi teens. They all identify as bi, pan or queer, plus Charlie and Sai identify as non-binary, meaning not exclusively masculine or feminine, though here's a quick explainer for what Charlie means by trans mask. But I do identify like within more masculine side of that and like coming from assigned female at birth, going that way. Mm. So yeah, trans mask, like masculine. But the first thing that jumps out at me from their introductions is Emma, who says that she's never felt the need to label her sexuality until now, which I find really interesting. I never came out to like anyone in my group of friends or anything, because obviously we go to Wellington High School where, where um, it's, it's, it's normal. To, yeah, it's implied. <laughs> like, it's weird if you're not gay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, kind of just expressing interest in people of all genders. And it's just kind of like, yeah, well, all right. Even though they go to a super woke school now, even this group still occasionally run into some of the things that we've heard from Emily, Rose and Sam. Now that I think about it, there is that kind of saying like, oh, you're not bisexual, you're just going through a phase. Like, you, you're just gay. Like, don't, don't try and make yourself seem more straight. Or When I was dating a girl, all my friends were like, they'd say I was cool for the summer. I don't know if, you, if, if anyone knows what that means. That's no. a song. Yeah, it's a song by Demi Lovato, <laughs> and it's where she um, date, like gets with a girl for the summer, and then she goes oh, back to being straight. As like a fling. Like <laughs> yeah, a fling, hey, hey. yeah. Like it was funny, and it's they knew joke, it was untrue, but, but, mm. but also like it is... It's just the, the little things, you know, like... But I do think that like the term it's just a phase is like so strange, because like if it is just a phase, why can't that person like live in that phase and be comfortable with that, instead of people having to like... I don't know, like put them down. Them out of the phase. Yeah, like, like there, are, you go through phases of other types in your life, like an emo phase. Yeah, why? If it is, if it is a phase, which normally it isn't, then can't you just be happy there? People always talk about going through like a experimental phase in college or something. <laughs> it's like bi classic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like why? Well, why can't you just do that like whenever you want? Why does it have to be in college? People are so but, a lot more quick to shut it down the younger you are because they're like, oh, you don't know any better. It's just people with ideas about what things should be yeah. having a go at people who don't fit their expectations, just like it happens with just your regular old homophobes. Here's why this stuff is so important. 
The Youth 12 report, which surveyed 8,500 high school students and last did so in 2012, found that young people who experience both and same-sex attraction, they're kind of lumped together in this particular survey, are more likely to be bullied, the majority of them had deliberately self-harmed, and 18% had attempted suicide in the past year. Also, the proportion of them experiencing significant depressive symptoms has increased from 27% in 2001 to 41% in 2012. And that same statistic for opposite sex attracted or straight students has remained pretty constant. Plus, studies from overseas repeatedly suggest that bisexual people are at a higher risk for poor mental health outcomes than both straight and lesbian and gay people. So what can we do to help? Just normalise it as much as you can. Just push the button, normalise it all. Yeah. Beep. It's easy. Yeah. A lot of TV shows are having a lot more like casual background queer characters and not making their queerness a central who they are. Yeah. Like yeah, it's becoming a lot more normal. Still Let's hope it continues. Go, yeah. I guess I just I wish I had bi parents. <laughs> yeah. Then I'd then I'd know it was a thing. Or just friends, yeah. Or just buy people that are open and in my life. In in my experience, I've never had anything but support. Really, Mm. never had any questioning. Not to you know, not to flex or anything. But (laughs) no, that's a great flex. That's the kind Um, of flex we want. But um, it was kind of just like completely normal. People just like okay. If you're waiting for a big reveal from me, like Emily, as you know, I'm Melody Thomas and I'm queer, I'm not there yet. Which, as a 34-year-old mother of two, doesn't feel ideal. I know there's no normal, but, you know, I feel like you're supposed to have this stuff sorted out by now. But before you go on thinking that old biphobic stereotype about bi people actually just being confused gay or straight people... To paraphrase a brilliant Tumblr thread that went viral a little while ago, the straight ship has sailed and I'm not aboard. But I also know from years of very satisfying research that I wouldn't entirely fit in on the Isle of Lesbos. The bit I'm figuring out is whether I want to settle in in Bisexual Bay. And increasingly, I feel like I do. That's it for the first episode of Season 3 of Bang. Coming up in future episodes, we talk to Bang listeners about some of the difficult things that they've been facing, learn all about monogamy and ethical non-monogamy, and I jump into the world of kink. Thank you so much for listening. I imagine you're subscribed already, but if not, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, review and rate us if you've got a minute. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, and engineered by William Saunders. The executive producer was Tim Watkin. Before we go, thank you again so much, Christchurch. We had so much fun putting on a live show for you. Wellington, you're up next. That's on March 22nd. You can search the Fringe website for information and for tickets. Bye for now. Bye.